0: Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Stephen Robles concludes the Supernatural series with a message titled, When to Armor Up. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. We're so glad you joined us today. And we're so glad you joined us all here at the Tampa campus for Palm Sunday. Amen. Can you believe Easter is one week away? And uh, you know, it's such an amazing time of year, Christmas and Easter. People come to church that don't normally come. And so we encourage you, invite your friends, invite your family, maybe someone you've for a long time invited, and they've always resisted. Now is the time. Invite them to church. We believe that God is going to do something incredible. Our lead pastor, Greg Dumas, is going to be teaching Good Friday and Easter services. And uh, they're actually here today. Can you let Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara know how much you appreciate them? We love you. We can't wait for next weekend. It's going to be powerful. So this week, we are concluding our series called Supernatural, and uh, I've been blessed with the opportunity to talk about the armor of God today, and we're going to talk a, a little bit differently about the armor of God in just a moment, but because it is Palm Sunday weekend, I'd like to talk about that just for a moment. You know, Palm Sunday is so important because it starts Holy Week. Palm Sunday is the moment when Jesus Christ entered the city of Jerusalem and a series of events following led to the crucifixion and then ultimately his resurrection that we celebrate next week. And actually a few years ago, a group from the crossing, we were able to actually go to the Holy Land and have some pictures of it here. But amazing that it was already three years ago. Here's me and Pastor Trent, one of our student pastors. You Come on, give it up for our student pastors. They do an amazing job. But this is actually a picture from the Mount of Olives looking towards the city of Jerusalem in the background. And if you go to that next picture, this is actually the Palm Sunday walk. We actually did the walk when we were there in the Holy Land. And you go down, and in the time of Jesus, when Jesus did this walk, he actually would have entered through this gate right here into the temple complex. So you can see that gate circled right there. And what's amazing is today that gate is actually sealed shut, But in Jesus' time, it was open, and he entered that into the temple. And here's what's amazing about this, is that when Jesus entered through that gate, it's called the Eastern Gate, or the Gate of Mercy, he was actually fulfilling a prophecy given hundreds of years before by the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 44, verses 1 and 2 says this, Then he, Ezekiel's talking about God, giving him a vision, brought me back by way of the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east. He's talking about this gate and it was shut. And the Lord said to me this gate shall be shut it shall not be open and no one shall enter by it for the Lord God of Israel has entered by it therefore it shall be shut. Now here's what's amazing about that prophecy. Jesus, the Lord God himself entered through that gate in that first century. Then years later, 1500 years later in 1541, there was an Ottoman sultan named Suleiman Knowing these prophecies of the Messiah sealed the gate shut, and it is still shut to this day, as in that picture. The only problem is Sultan Suleiman didn't realize he was too late. The Messiah had already gone through the gate, he had already gone to the cross, and he would already rose from the dead. And so let us read together the account of the triumphal entry as we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is Matthew 21. Verses 8 through 11. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 21. And it says, A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him, talking about Jesus, and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. And Hosanna means save us or save now. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Hosanna in the highest heaven." And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, Who is this? And the crowds kept saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. As Jesus entered the city, the people shouted, Hosanna, save us. But what's weird is a week later, they would be shouting, Crucify him, rather than Hosanna. Why? They believed that Jesus had come as a natural savior. They believed that Jesus was gonna do something either in politics or something in the natural with the Romans, maybe put the Jews back into power. But Jesus said, my mission is not natural. You think I'm a natural savior, but I'm actually a supernatural savior. I'm here not just to deliver you from things of this world, but to deliver from the evil and principalities that are trying to kill you. I've come to deliver you from death, hell, and the grave through my resurrection. They looked for a natural savior but Jesus came as a supernatural Savior. And as we begin Holy Week to Good Friday, Jesus' death on the cross, which is payment for sins, and then his resurrection, let us thank God now for the gift of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We thank you that you love the world so much that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you for his death and sacrifice on the cross as a payment for all sins that we just need to repent and come to you and we can be saved. God, we pray that your presence is here at our campuses online. We worship you this week and always. And God, I pray that you speak to your people even now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, if you would turn with me, we're going to give your Bibles a workout today. Turn to me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we find the armor of God. The Apostle Paul talks about the armor of God. And at the beginning of the verse, he talks about that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And we're going to read the whole verse in a moment. But I had to show this because this just came up this weekend. This is a picture of a shoe that was just announced. This is a collaboration between hip-hop artist Lil Nas, and it is... The Satan shoe. There is a pentagram on top. There is the mark of man 666 on the side and a verse Luke 1018 on the side that says for Satan fell like lightning from heaven. It was marketed just this weekend for Palm Sunday. There's going to be 666 pairs made. One drop of human blood will be in each pair. Sometimes we don't believe that we're in a battle Sometimes we as Christians believe that everything's hunky-dory, nothing's really that bad. It's all just fun. If you could put that picture up one more time. Let me tell you, this is culture and the enemy coming after a generation. When the Bible says our battle is against the evil forces, this is what it's talking about. Yes, you can say a man made this. Yes, it's human beings collaborating or whatever, but this is the enemy attacking a generation. So as we read about the armor of God today, I want you to keep in mind that we need to armor ourselves up against the attacks of the enemy, against him working through culture, and we need to protect the generation. Let's read together Ephesians 6, starting with verse 12. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace, in every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Amen. That's powerful on itself. The apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesians saying, You will encounter battles one day. It's not an if, it's a when. And we have battles today in our culture. Whether it's popular music or entertainment, television, whatever it is, there are attacks from the enemy, messages, ideas, and images that are attacking the next generation. I know it may seem like you're in a battle when you drive on I-4. And it might be, I'll be honest, I drive it a lot. But our battle is not against people. Our real battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. And that's where the armor comes in. The armor allows us to defend against the enemy's attacks, And we have the sword of the Spirit. And I believe the sword of the Spirit is to take down strongholds, people who are resistant to Jesus, people who have just holdups in their life. The sword of the Spirit can discern and help us reach those who are lost. If you need a visual to help you understand the armor of God, I found this uh, flannel graph. Anybody remember the old school Sunday school flannel graphs? Come on, raise your hand if you remember a flannel graph. That's right. I grew up on the flannel graph. It's all right. You can actually still get this on Amazon for $12. I'm not even kidding. But, you know, that was how we understood the armor of God back then. But if some of you need a more modern representation to visualize the armor of God, maybe this will help. Come on, you know that's exciting. Some of you are going to go home and watch the Avengers tonight. I know it. I mean, he had the breastplate of righteousness. He had the helmet of salvation. It's all good. But we could go on and talk about each part of the armor today, but I actually want to take a different approach. Because there are actually times in our lives when we need to armor up and increase our defenses, and there's actually times in our lives where we need to decrease our armor. We actually need to let vulnerability come into how we interact with the people around us. And so if you've got messages and you're writing down the title for the message, the title is Know When to Armor Up. Know when to armor up. Find somebody around you. You're going to tell them a couple times today, but tell them, armor up. Oh, it's like that. Okay. Look at somebody, pretend you're one of the Avengers, and tell them, armor up. Thank you. you. All right. So to look at when do we remain vulnerable and when do we need to armor up, there's a group, I believe, here. Maybe you're in both categories. But there are some of us who have put up emotional walls. Maybe we've experienced hurt in the past. Maybe someone told us something like, you'll never be good enough or you won't succeed in that business. And because of that, we put up shields and armor to protect ourselves. We don't open up to people. We push people away. For those people in that category, it's time to armor down. But there's another group that maybe you're struggling with a temptation. Maybe you're caught in a habit loop And you keep falling into the same sin over and over again. It's time to armor up. And it's time to get accountability around you. Family of God to help you resist the temptation. And so to look at these two groups, we're going to actually look at the life of King David. I use King David a lot because when he actually followed God's word, he did incredible things. And when he didn't, he failed incredibly too. But number one, we're going to look at when he actually accomplished something good. Number one when to stay vulnerable. My first point of two, when to stay vulnerable. So if you still have your Bibles and your apps, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. You probably know this story. It's the story of David and Goliath. Spoiler, David wins, all right? We're not doing that part today. David beats Goliath. But what I want to look at is what happens before he faces Goliath. Before he faces Goliath, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting with verse 36. David is talking to King Saul. Saul was the king at this point, And Goliath had been shouting curses at the Israelites. Goliath had been shouting down God, cursing God, and David had enough. All the other Israelites chickened out. No one's going to fight this guy. So David comes up and he says, your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. Can I just say David like has Shakespeare level insults? Like he knows how to insult a guy, uncircumcised Philistine. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. But then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head, had him put on armor, and David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the wadi or the valley, and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So David goes to King Saul and he says, listen, I got this. And Saul said, okay, at least take the best armor in the land. I'm the king. I have the best armor. Take it with you when you fight this battle. He had good intentions. The problem was Saul's armor would never fit David. The Bible says Saul was a head above all the other Israelites. He was that tall. And so for David to try to wear someone else's armor, he would have been at a disadvantage. Even with the best intentions, people may try to put things on you. Maybe it's expectations. Maybe it's hurts. Whatever it is, that person's armor is not going to fit you. You need to get your armor from the Lord, not someone else. David knew if he was going to have any chance of winning the battle, he couldn't be weighed down by someone else's expectations, someone else's history, someone else's hurt. Imagine the great world record holder and Olympic runner, Usain Bolt. Imagine if right before he's going to win a race, because he always wins, that's him out there. Imagine if right before he goes to race, someone says, you have to wear these other pair of shoes. You need to wear someone else's shoes. Now, Usain Bolt is still athletic and he's still fast. He may even still win the race in someone else's shoes, but he would be at a severe disadvantage. He wouldn't have won it like he did here. He might've been back here. You see, we can't take someone else's armor and try to wear it and fight our battles. So whatever that is, maybe it was in the workplace. Maybe someone said the only way your small business can succeed is if you cheat on your taxes. Maybe the only way you can get ahead is if you lie or cut corners. Maybe someone gave you advice about your marriage that really isn't good. Do not take that armor on. It's actually time to take that off and receive God's armor for your life. Amen. Don't wear someone else's armor. But the other side of armoring down is vulnerability. You know, a lot of times, vulnerability sounds like a bad word. It seems like we shouldn't be vulnerable. That opens us up to hurt or attack. But there are many times, especially in the relationships close to us, with our family, that we actually need to be vulnerable to connect. Brene Brown has the most viewed TED talk. On YouTube. She's a sociologist and scientist, and she talks about vulnerability, the most viewed TED Talk on YouTube. And she says this, I'm going to quote her. There's this idea that vulnerability equals weakness. We need to self-protect. We need to not put ourselves out there. We're raised to believe it's important to be brave, but then we're taught not to be vulnerable. In her research, there is no courage without vulnerability. When speaking to a group of soldiers at Fort Bragg, she asked, "'Give me an example of courage or bravery that didn't require uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure.'" After some time, a soldier stood up and said, "'Ma'am, after three tours, there is no courage without vulnerability.'" Then she went on to work with Pete Carroll in the Seattle Seahawks. She said, "'Give me an example of courage on or off the field that doesn't include vulnerability.'" They said there is no courage without vulnerability. If you're not all in, if you're not putting yourself out there, you can't be brave. You see, in Brown's research, she finds that we tend to armor up at work. There's less trust between them, coworkers, and us. We don't have confidence. And a lot of times, especially at work, we find we need to be the knower and be right rather than the learner and get it right. I'm going to say that again. So many times, this might be in your family too, you need to be the knower and be right rather than the learner and get it right. You see, we don't like to show that we don't know how to do something. This could be true in marriage and the workplace. We don't wanna show that we don't have the answer. We don't know it. And so we put up these walls and this armor because we don't wanna look foolish or dumb or that we don't know what to do. But in reality, courage requires vulnerability. Since we showed Iron Man a second ago, I'll do another super example. (laughs) You think of Superman. If he wasn't vulnerable to kryptonite, no one would think he's brave. No one can hurt him. What courage does it require for him to go into a burning building or save someone? No, it's when you introduce vulnerability and risk that we see true courage. So think about those situations where you might have too much armor up at home, in the workplace, with family. Or maybe it's right now, at church. Maybe you experienced hurts in the past from church. Maybe you experienced something from people who call themselves Christians, but they hurt you in the past, and so you began to armor up against the things of God. I want to encourage you, whatever that is, it's skepticism or hurt, that you begin to take that armor down, and you allow God to work in your life. You know, if you didn't know, God is moving in a new way here at the Crossing Church. He's doing powerful things just in the last few months. And I want to encourage you. We have been hearing stories of miracles and healings. And even right now, as I said that, someone's armor just went up. And they said, no, I I don't think that's real. I don't think that can happen. That's so I want to encourage you, as you hear these stories, and as we see God move here, even at the Crossing Church and in our region, that you don't put up walls against the things of God. That you remain vulnerable and say, I know it's a risk, but God, do what you want to do in my life. Take control of my life. Amen. So number one was when to stay vulnerable, and number two, when to armor up. Turn to another neighbor and tell them, armor up. That's all right. For our second story, I want you to go one book over to 2 Samuel. We were in 1 Samuel, now we're in 2 Samuel, chapter 11. And in this story, David fails. He had a situation where he needed to armor up, and he didn't. 2 Samuel, chapter 11 is the story of David and Bathsheba. And let's watch what he does. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting with verse 1. In the spring, when kings march out to war, keep that in mind, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed, strolled around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So, David sent someone to inquire about her. And when he reported, the messenger said, This is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You know, I hope the messenger emphasized that. The wife of somebody else. David sent messengers even so to get her. And when she came to him, they didn't play Monopoly. We'll just say that. What happened here? David had a situation where he needed to armor up. But instead, he left his defenses down and he failed. He fell into sin. The first part was, as the beginning of the verse says, in the spring, kings are supposed to march out to war. David was supposed to be out at war with his men. He wasn't supposed to be alone in the palace. David shirked his responsibility and because of it, he left himself vulnerable when he shouldn't have been. Strike one. Second, because of his boredom, because he's the only guy left in the palace, he goes and wanders around the roof. And David's a warrior. David's a king. He needs something to do. Maybe something to feel accomplished, something to conquer. And he turns to the wrong thing. He sends messengers out to inquire about the woman he saw across the street. He could have stopped the trajectory even then. He didn't have to send messengers, but he did. Strike two. And even when those messengers come back and say, Listen, this woman is married to one of your soldiers who's fighting your war somewhere else, he says, Send another messenger and bring her here. Strike three. You're out. David had multiple times he could have stopped the trajectory, he could have gotten off that path. He didn't belong in the palace, he shouldn't have sent messengers the first time and he definitely shouldn't send messengers the second time. David needed somebody around him to keep him accountable. David himself should have fallen on his face and said, God, I'm dealing with temptation right now. Help me, Father. But he didn't do that. Instead, he allowed himself down a path, totally vulnerable when he needed to armor up. James 1, starting with verse 13, describes sin in this way. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And we see that in the story of David. I've been reading this book called The Power of Habit. And the book describes how we develop habits in our lives all the time, good and bad. Our brain is constantly trying to save energy and not make decisions, and so we just form habits naturally. And we make these habit loops. And if you look at this next picture, it shows what happens when we create a habit loop. There's some trigger. Maybe it's, you're hungry, and so you go through Chick-fil-A. That's of the Lord, but you can't do it on Sunday. Sorry. There's some trigger. And because of that trigger or cue, we develop some routine to deal with that trigger. And that routine helps us feel relief, some reward. Now, this could be different for everyone, and maybe you know what this is. But in the book, it talks about alcoholism, those who struggle with that addiction. They say there's some cue, some stress. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's in the home, whatever it is. And that cue turns them to alcohol, and that alcohol helps them feel better, and they will be stuck in this loop constantly, going and going, falling into sin. And they say, it is very hard to change a habit, but it is possible. You can break the loop. You're not going to change the trigger. You're not going to be able to change what's causing you to do it. And you're still going to seek some relief. But what you do is you need to replace the routine. You need to stop doing something here and start doing something here. You can't just sit at home by yourself and think, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. That's not going to work. Don't think of a pink elephant. See, you just did it. You can't do that. You need help here. And the organization, Alcoholics Anonymous, actually understands this pattern, and that's why they've been successful for so many years. They understand that we need to replace this with something, and so they replace it with community, with a group, come to a meeting, have a sponsor, have someone you can call when you are struggling. When you get to this point, don't go here, go here. This is why, come on, somebody, you are getting it. This is why you, we all need people who keep us accountable. Someone we can turn to when we are struggling. You know what I'm gonna say? Life groups. If you don't have someone to turn to, join a life group. Someone who can keep you accountable. When you feel yourself going into that loop over and over again, and you feel yourself weakening to temptation, it's time to armor up. Like an Avenger, tell somebody around you, armor up. Don't give in to temptation. Armor up. I'm going to start landing in the plane with an illustration about hermit crabs. Some of you don't believe me. I was watching this documentary the other day with my family, and we learned about hermit crabs. What's amazing is a hermit crab needs the shell to survive. Without a shell, a hermit crab will die in just a couple hours in the sun where they live. But sometimes they can't find a shell that fits them They don't have armor that they fit into. And so what they will do, all naturally by themselves, they will line up in size order. And once the biggest one finds a shell that fits him, he will take the big shell and then he will give his shell to the next one. And that one will go to the next one. And that shell will go to the next one, on and on. And they will work together to armor up. Listen, if hermit crabs can do it, we can do it. (laughs) Come on, somebody. We can do it. So when you need to identify those moments, for some of you, maybe it's late at night when you're alone and your browser history would show something you're not proud of. Maybe it's when you go on a business trip and you are vulnerable in those moments. Maybe it's when you have so much stress that you fall into anger or you take it out on the people around you. Identify those situations that you fall into those loops, the bad habit loops. And say, God, help me. Give me the armor I need to resist temptation. And go to people around you. Find a godly mentor. Get in a life group where you can have someone you trust that holds you accountable. And so as we move to close, remember there's two categories of people. Some of us need to armor down. Some of us need to learn how to be more vulnerable, whether it's to our family, relationships, maybe even with God. And another group that needs to armor up and resist temptation. So first, those who may have been resisting Jesus for a long time, I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable and say, I want to give my life to him today. And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, you're going to have that opportunity right now. Maybe this is your first time at any church, and you say, I'm not sure what this is, but I feel something moving on my heart. That's the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you've been to church for a long time, but you've actually never given your life to Christ. Now's your opportunity. We're all going to pray a prayer together. Everyone's going to say it, so you're not alone. But if that's you, if you're saying, I want to give my life to Christ today, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. But now everyone together, heads bowed and eyes closed, say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I believe you died on a cross, and I know you rose again. Teach me to follow you. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed that message from Pastor Stephen Robles. Don't forget our Good Friday and Easter services are coming up. You can find all the service times across campuses at crossingeaster.com. And don't forget to download our app where you can find all the upcoming events, watch our services live and on demand. And you can download it at wearecrossing.com and then select Android or iPhone. Thanks for joining us this week. We can't wait to worship with you next weekend.